Blog Talk Radio. Manager there for 
some several uh, positions, I do believe. But uh, I worked with him since I did have a programmer background uh, to to kind of work some of the bugs out over one very long weekend years ago to, to get the killer process to where it would flow smoothly and not run into any hiccups or bugs. So, uh, yeah, I was like in one of the very first beta tests that went through on that one. And at the time it seemed okay, but obviously it seems to have expanded to include so much more than it has when we first started. Uh, the streamlining, I'd, I'd have to say that uh, if, it's, if it has remained the same, it's not going to be much different. You still have to fill out all the paragraphs. But uh, uh, my last COA was just uh, approved here a couple of weeks ago, and I haven't started another in the process, so I really can't speak to the streamlining that they say is there. Well, I think there's, you know, there's probably a little bit of a room for improvement with the six to nine month thing. Um, you can have a baby or get a COA, you know. Uh, I, you know, the other reason I, I kind of wanted to bring that up is, is also, uh, you know, go back to kind of the old guard and the, uh, you know, how how long we've been around this thing and you know, uh, have offered to assist the FAA. <laughs> In every which way possible, which will probably be in the uh, the RCAP of skeletons in the closet show, or you know, I'm also people were suggesting that maybe I do a maybe we could do one of these. You know, you can call in and ask about anything shows, and we'll have to limit it to uh, unmanned aircraft. <laughs> I'm not properly trained for anything else, but uh, I think that might be good. We could also give some perspective there. Um, okay, well, we're going to move along, and we'll start uh, starting with our two two guests. I have the distinct pleasure of, of welcoming, welcoming today's two guests. We've got Chris McNair from Autopilot and Jimmy Prudy from Hangar 18. Um, I, I know both Chris and uh, Jimmy. I remember the kickoff of Hangar 18 a few years back, and, and I think there were some other people involved and so I guess the best thing to do is we'll start off, and I'm gonna we'll start off with uh, Jimmy. Maybe you can uh, tell us or tell the audience a little bit about yourself, a little bit of a background, and uh, <clears throat> you know we'll go from there. Okay, Patrick. Uh, just like a lot of people in this industry, I started flying RC back in the in the 70s, and uh, went in the Air Force. Uh, spent 20 years in the Intelligence Committee in the Air Force. Uh, while I was doing that, I taught myself how to design and, uh, and build airplanes, uh, composite fabrication and, and, uh, and whatnot. Uh, retired from the Air Force in 99 uh, and uh, started delving into it at that point in the UAV side. Uh, the first aircraft I designed was the Vector P, which was uh, when I was with the Intellitech Microsystems out in Maryland. Uh, we parted ways about a year later and uh, came back to Wichita, Kansas here and uh, Started uh, Hangar 18 in uh, 2006. Um, first airplane that we came out with, of course, was the Osprey, which is the one that's getting a lot of notoriety right now. But uh, and then we've been working with uh, Chris McNair at Autopilot there with uh, the Fomaru and a couple projects he's working on. Um, right now, we're really just waiting to see which way the uh, FA is going to go to see if we can get things to, to really take off for us. But uh, it's been an interesting ride. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, to say the least, one of the being one of the old guard. All right, and then uh, Chris, uh, would you please uh, do the same for us? Absolutely. Um, well, uh, as most may know, um, we started back in right around 2007 with Autopilot. Um, I've been in this business since 
right around 1999, 2000, so when I, when I got into uh, the on-man side. Um, our, our, our primary goal is to produce uh, quality aircraft and systems that are uh, feasible for the average individual to purchase and utilize to uh, create a job and or multiple jobs and as simple as a hobby. Um, I was fortunate enough to team up with Dean Getty of Autopilot uh, back in 2007, and uh, we have been working together on the development of the Autopilot Autopilot. And um, fortunately, we we were given the position to be able to uh, supply him with his marketing sales distribution uh, and relieve him of, of those duties. Um, all in all, everything has been working well, but as, as we are talking here, the uh, regulations and proposed rules have um, put a bind in just about everybody's plan. And so well, we're um, active. You, you have ITAR to, to deal with as well, don't you? Absolutely. ITAR was actually our biggest problem. 70% um, of our uh, potential sales are overseas, and that's largely due to the lack of regulations in the U.S., but um, it, it also became quite an issue because the government, for some reason, feels that uh, we have a superior item to other individuals around the world, and that's that's definitely not the case. Um, so they have inhibited us from uh, being successful or largely successful in that, that realm, and, and it has cost multiple people a large amount of money. Um, just a matter of them realizing or getting to the position where we can uh, you, we can sell relatively freely through the world and and use our our brains when it comes down to the individual countries that we may be selling to more specifically Iran, Afghanistan, Iraq, um, North Korea, those types of com countries that we just plain will not sell to. So, um, yeah, the ITAR thing has been quite quite a pain in the rear, but we have we've managed to work around it or with them, and um, it, it has been picking up lately. Well, you know, I, you know that is kind of funny too. It's not funny, but the the ITAR thing, uh, you know, and being an an American uh, business or a U.S. based business, and people have asked me, you know, over the, the last few years, well, you know, what can I do to increase business? <laughs> I have to tell them, uh, move offshore, you know. Yeah. <laughs> they got you pretty well hemmed in here. It's like, well, okay, there's no legal market in the U.S., and then I got this ITAR thing to deal with, and and you know, for anyone who hasn't dealt with that ITAR thing, um, it can be a nightmare. Your product has to be controlled when it's overseas, and you know it's like in the briefcase, uh, you know, handcuffed to your wrist. I don't know if it's quite it that bad. Seems, it it actually seems like there's a uh, we're our worst enemy as far as the United States and developing business because we have the FAA stepping on us on one side, and ITAR regulations that only the United States follows stepping on us on the other side. So it's just a, amazing we're able to survive at all. Yeah, well, it, you know, it makes for um, hard-to-find income streams. I, I think that'd probably be a fair way to surmise that one. Yeah. Um, 
It's a difficult thing, uh, you know. I don't know. I, I really, I'm, I'm hoping something breaks loose here soon. I know I'd consider both of you guys too to be uh, part of the old guard, and uh, you know, hanging on and waiting for regulation and and, and all of that is is very challenging. I'm sure. Um, I'm, I'm sure, you know, and I want to get feedback kind of at the end of this thing too, if if, if we have time from everyone on the call. And, you know, give you guys an opportunity to say, you know, if X, Y, and Z, then at least I could survive, you know. And then, you know, maybe talk about your, your unicorn scenario where it'd be like, oh, this would, if this all this happened, it'd be great and I could make a living and, and all this would happen. But let's circle back on that. Let's, uh, let, let's stick to today's topic first, which is I, I want to talk about uh, both of your involvement um, with the Sea Shepherd effort, and uh, you know, I, I, again, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll, we're going to talk about this, and I don't want to get too far into the weeds where we're giving anything away. We'll do a little, you know, have a little opsec on that deal. I don't want to uh, give the, the whaling people too much information, but now I, I haven't really watched the show. Um, I don't really watch a lot of TV. So uh, maybe uh, somebody could give me the the lay person's premise of the of the, of that show uh, that the Sea Shepherd's involved in. The uh, sure. well, what they're doing is basically you're they're, right. sorry, on that one. Um, I, I can definitely tell you from our side um, in reference to who was contacted and when and and what procedures we went about to get them in the position they're in. Um, it, it basically came down to about a year and a half ago, um, we were contacted, uh, by a group who provides security to the Sea Shepherd group. And, um, they were looking for an unmanned system that was capable of, uh, flying in, in pretty severe weather conditions. It also needed to have the ability to, uh, take off and be recovered from the vessel, and um, after a number of tests and uh, communications between the, the various organizations, we we got to a point to where they've been repeatedly successful on on what they've needed to do. Um, it, I'm sorry. Oh no, go ahead. Finish your thought. Uh, the, if if most people do not know or are not aware of the Sea Shepherd Group, they're a uh, they're an organization that's out to um, help help uh, monitor the planet, some of the things that we've been given that a lot of people take for granted. And, um, they, you know, in some ways people look at it as uh, somewhat of a, a semi-piracy situation, and others are very grateful for what they're doing. Um, there, There is a fine line that they... They have to follow, and you know, and, and the, the largest of that is safety. Um, it, you know, there's no reason to hurt or potentially put other individuals in a position where they could be, um, where where it could destroy them physically. Mm. The Sea Shepherd Group has been very good about um, being very transparent and. Um, getting their their mission across in, in a very um, strong way. Right. Well, and Jimmy, did you want to add anything to that, uh, the, the 
<clears throat> that question premise of the show and the, the Sea well, Shepherd the, the, people? The show itself just really follows the Sea Shepherd as they go through and try to stop the Japanese whaling fleet, which is running under the auspices of research, but kind of hard to call it research when the, the whales are killing or ending up on the commercial market for food and cosmetics. So, um, But uh, they, they follow them as they go through, and uh, they, they try to, uh, of course, disrupt their, their whaling. And the biggest part of that, and, and where we come in, uh, where Chris and I come in, is being able to find the Japanese whaling feet, and specifically the, the processing ship. Um, and that's what they wanted our products for, was to be able to go out and spot them with the uh, uh, and, of course, they can do it with unmanned. They're not putting anybody in jeopardy out there in the areas they fly in and the weather conditions they fly in. But right. uh, the show itself just follows them through the different seasons. And uh, and uh, last year, I think they were able to shut them down about halfway through the whaling season. And uh, this year, it was even sooner than that. And I think we had something to do with that. Well, that's good. And, you know, the other thing I wanted to touch on, because, um, you know, I mean, I guess, you know, working with these guys, it kind of open your eyes to the plight of, of like, uh, the world sea mammals, you know. Uh, I mean, I, I, you know, I did some stuff in Hollywood, and I met this other kid, Billy McNamara, and he was he was uh, over there doing some stuff with uh, the saving the dolphins, and I guess, you know, they do, mm-hmm. they do a big cull or whatever. And, you know, I didn't even know the scope or size of uh, what was going on with the dolphin thing, and then you know the whaling thing. You know, call me Ishmael. You know, I thought that was that was kind of over in the 19th century. <laughs> we were done yeah. harpooning the whales, but uh, you know, uh, did, did so? Did you guys were you either of you kind of aware of this this whaling and fishing industry before you made contact with the Sea Shepherd folks? Did they kind of open your eyes to what's going on over there? Any personal feelings? Well, I had actually followed it on TV uh, well before the uh, we got involved with it when Whale Wars first started on. Uh, uh, I think it's Animal Planet's where it, when it's on, but um, uh, I'd, I'd followed it on that. And of course, uh, inter- internationally, it's kind of odd because my wife's Japanese, and uh, so it could leave some conflicts. But fortunately, we're both on the same page for that, so <laughs> it could have ended badly. <laughs> you don't want you don't want any you know disharmony in the living room there. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Over whaling. Uh and then uh you, Chris, did you uh did you wanna take a shot at that question? Sure. Um I actually was uh brought uh, as Jimmy, uh I followed it on, on the T V initially. And uh to be quite honest, you know, I was under the assumption that they're primarily working towards whaling. Um, come to find out they they travel the whole world and they do everything from uh, illegal shark finning to, as you mentioned, the uh, calling of um, of dolphins. Mm. And uh, they, they also get into situations like uh, a number of the trapping methods that are used for, for large fish also um, impact, you know, whales, dolphins, and um, sea turtles. So... You know, as the food chain goes, these are these are all animals that are necessary to keep a, a decent balance on this planet. And if we're out there destroying it or allowing it to get destroyed, um, you know, the outcome could be rather severe. Right, right. Yeah, and like I said, you know, I, I was uh, totally 
unaware of uh, of that, you know, and uh, talking to the Billy about that, he was telling, you know, they were out there protesting, and, uh, you know, the villagers are throwing rocks at them, the cops are beating them up. <laughs> you know, from what I hear, the, the, the Japanese, the, they don't like people uh, doing this, and they take it very serious. I guess this is kind of a tradition for them. Um, mm-hmm. It'd be nice if they were better stewards of the environment, but, you know... Anyway, sure. well, so you guys are um, your products are helping with this, and then so you know, and then it kind of moves us into the the next question. Unless I'm totally stepping on you over there, Gene, you got anything? <laughs> no, 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 sounds good. I want to get to this portion of it because this is near and dear to my heart, and I really would like to hear more about the Osprey and and how you managed to get it on off the ship and then back on again. Yeah, we want. I, that, let's move into that. Let, let's talk about the the aircraft, and then both you guys can talk about uh, your side of it. And let's go into you know what it can kind of do. Uh, their expectations, reality, how you launched, and how you recovered. Understand. Um, well, I think it might be best for Jimmy to um, chime in on on the specific aircraft, uh, where the design came from, and the purpose for it. And then um, I can I can you know work off of that and, and let you know how the communication uh, came about and, and the decision that was made to to utilize that aircraft and how they were going to launch and recover. Okay, sounds good, Jimmy. Okay, well the, uh, my design philosophy is always design a uh, an aircraft that's a multi-use airplane. I don't design one for a specific payload or a specific job and. Uh, couple of criteria I've got. It needs to be a well-performing airplane, and it needs to be kept affordable, where companies that are just wanting to get into this type of operation can afford to do so. Um, the initial design for the Osprey, I wanted something that would carry some weight and would uh, be able to do it for a, a fairly long amount of time, so I came up with the streamlined fuselage and the high aspect ratio weight. Um, performance-wise, it performs extremely well. We've flown it in 40-plus uh, mile-an-hour winds, on autopilot, and it was able with the, the, the proficiency of the efficiency of uh, autopilot, was able to maintain the the tracking at the waypoints dead on, and uh, maintain altitudes everything. With, even with the uh, 40 mile an hour crosswind, it was able to uh, do what we needed. Uh, we've been able to fly it in excess of an hour, uh, and that's without trying to stretch it. I can go to higher performance batteries and motor setups, and get well over that. Um, uh, and again, it's just all goes into the efficient. Efficiency of the design. Um, it's just been a real well, good performing airplane for us. It's a rugged airplane, um, and it's it's done more than we could have asked for it. So I've been really happy with it. So you're another you're you're another wing guy. I know Gene has been. I mean, <laughs> I know Gene. When you started with the wing, people were like, "It'll never work." <laughs> and uh, yeah, you know, uh, we'll go ahead. It, it all comes down to efficiency. I mean, the, the wings are efficient. A lot of people would say they'd never work for photography or, or video, but we've just proven that, too. And, again, some of the capabilities of autopilot uh, make it an ideal platform for vertical photography. Mm-hmm. So it's just uh, the combination of the two you just can't beat. Yeah, it's a really good combination all the way around. I agree. Well, um, you know, that's great. Uh, I, I Personally, uh, I don't have much experience with wings, but uh, you know, I, they like the, the proof's in the pudding on that one. But 
Chris, uh, maybe you could talk a little bit about, um, you know, the, the autopilot and uh, communications and whatnot. Maybe maybe you could speak to that and kind of fill us in on the other half of this thing. Sure. Um, where the autopilot spawned from was uh, Dean was Dean was out there. He he's had a lifelong dream to create something that could fly an aircraft autonomously. Um, but the the bigger issue was the the cost of the the current autopilots or the autopilots that were available at the time. They either were too expensive or did not do what he liked or asked for. And um, in in a lot of ways, it didn't do it as well as he believed it could be done. So Dean took a large leap um, and left Intel to pursue this business. And uh, as I mentioned, we were fortunate enough to um, team up with Dean very early in the design process of the autopilot. Um, our input for the autopilot is primarily the, the flight physics and uh, you know, the way an aircraft flies in the aerodynamic standpoint. Um, Dean has, if many, you know, many people do know about him, but he is probably one of the smartest individuals I've ever run across. And um, when he puts his mind to something, he will do it. All right. The autopilot was, you know, we, we were focusing on producing something that was within a price point that just about anybody could purchase and utilize for their own personal needs and or a possible business. Um, as the years went by, the first two years, there was no, not even any talk about proposed regulations or rules. Um, it wasn't until later that people started catching light of what was going on and they decided, well, there's money to be made, therefore we need to regulate it. Um, Regulation is a good thing, and we don't we don't have a problem with it. But the the terms that they're putting across to us are very unrealistic, in the sense that they're trying to make us follow manned aviation rules instead of something more uh, similar to the, the remote control aircraft world. Yeah, well, um, there's, there's so many uh, different forces at play at that on that one. That's that's a that's another show. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, we can, uh, oh, my God, go on about that one. But, yeah, go, go ahead. Sure. Um, well, you know, we're, you know, Dean and I like to think of ourselves as perfectionists, and we really do not want to put anything out that isn't as close to our best ability as possible. Um, right. With that being said, Dean has consistently been updating and, refining the autopilot and its code and and its abilities. Um, as some may know, it's a, what we call a feature queen. Um, it, it has very little limitations and allows the end user to pretty much do whatever he thinks of. Um, now, that is obviously within reason and within uh, the physics side of you know how an aircraft flies and what it's capable of doing. So no magical stuff. Yeah, you know, of course, we get very unrealistic um, questions from individuals at times and, and needs that they want, and, and we have to be sensitive about it, but we have to educate them on what the true abilities are um, yeah. that they're capable of, of achieving. 
Um, well, I think all of you guys could probably talk to that. I mean, I get it all the time. I sit there and and I've I've learned to be a better listener. It may not show on this show, but <laughs> I've learned to be a better listener and, and let people kind of explain what they think it can do and. You know, I, I did a deal not too long ago. I had the whole company grill me for like three hours, and they all had these different missions. And when I'm like, you know, that that platform to do all of those missions doesn't really exist yet. I'm not going to say it may not be out there in the future, but right now, no. Um, so I'm, I'm I'm sure you guys get the same kind of thing. Uh, we are we are way past the halfway part of, of our halfway point of our conversation, so I want to I want to kind of move forward a little bit more, and I did want to talk about the launch and recovery. Uh, most folks probably know, like uh, let's say you know the Scan Eagles touted as being launchable off a ship and recoverable off of a ship, and they've got that super wedge launcher and the tether ball cable recovery. Let's talk about uh, the, the the Osprey and, and how this is accomplished. Um, first, we'll go with Jimmy, and, and then Chris. Maybe we can talk about you know the autopilot's uh, let's say uh, piece of that. There's a, there's a there's two two ways you can launch the Osprey. One's hand launch, of course, and the other one is with a bungee system, which is just a a very simple, easy to set up bungee launch. Uh, cord that we use to launch it with so it's uh, actually it's it's very easy launch especially with if you take off in assisted mode with autopilot um it, it makes it pretty much foolproof uh landing is still done manually uh you need to belly land it or as they do on the uh on the seed shepherd group just you can land it in a, a they've got a net if you ever watch the show when the helicopter takes off it takes off from a, a it's actually kind of attached to a net that it releases uh keep the the aircraft stable on the deck, and they can they can raise that up and just fly it into it and uh, capture it that way. Um, and then Chris was, was uh, talking to me earlier about it. It's got a uh, bungee hook on it, and when it goes through the net, the hook that we used to bungee launch with actually snags the net and keeps it from coming back out. So, okay. it's, uh, again, it, go ahead. Jimmy, uh, just one question. Did you ever go in the water? Uh, yeah. I, I didn't. Uh, that's That's something Chris will have to answer. He did the training for him. I'm not sure if it went in or not. So, uh, We've had a, you know, they, as, as as the testing goes, we've had, uh, you know, a number of mishaps, you know, learning the uh, abilities and, and limitations of the aircraft. But um, as for that group, without, you know, saying too much, they, they as, as far as we know, uh, as far as they've relayed information-wise, there's been zero issues in regards to um, the launch and recovery of the aircraft. Um, one of our initial concerns when when we went to work with them was they have a vessel that's traveling, say, 15 knots, and um, they use the auto-launch procedure of autopilot. Um, what we were concerned about is the individual not uh, launching the vehicle with enough uh, force behind it to kick the autopilot into gear. And as you would expect, the aircraft would land on the water and then get ran over by the vessel. Um, fortunately, we've not run into that issue, and um, it, it seems like uh, it, it's becoming a lesser of an issue as it goes on, uh, primarily because of the forward velocity of the vessel 
and the slow uh, flight speed that is required to get these aircraft aloft. Um, as for recovery, um, Jimmy mentioned it is uh, we we have an assisted mode, two different assisted modes in in the autopilot, and um, what that does is allow the end user to fly the aircraft as he would traditionally, but it it utilizes the autopilot's um, settings to restrict the aircraft from getting out of control or in a position where they can't recover it. Um, so that, that's been very helpful in then, you know, guiding the aircraft back to the vessel and, and recovering it. Um, there's, there's multiple ways to recover it, uh, one being the net, the other literally being flying it right into your hands. Um, again, that forward velocity makes a huge difference um, as opposed to, you know, standing on the ground in a dead wind environment. Um, but, yeah, I, we we made the aircraft as waterproof as possible. I like to say more water resistant. Um, if it did land in uh, in water of any type, they would, as long as they didn't run it over, they would be able to recover it. And given autopilot is hermetically sealed, um, they they wouldn't really have a problem with cleaning off the aircraft and, and continuing flights. Okay. So one of the questions that came to my mind while you were you both of you guys were talking about this, you know, and, and the hand catch and all the rest of that. What what uh give me a ballpark on the the all up weight of this system. Um could you re- repeat that and I didn't catch all that. What uh without giving away too much, what's what's the all up weight of the uh Osprey system? Oh, okay. Um that particular system came in right at six pounds. Um, yeah, not not particularly heavy, uh, and and for its size, wingspan-wise, it's it's actually quite light. Um, the Osprey is a great flying airplane. It flies very similar to a competition-type glider. Um, it, it can, uh, as Jimmy mentioned, stay aloft for an hour plus. And uh, one of the neat features of it is it it does incredibly well at thermally. So if the individual sets the autopilot up properly. We have two types of flight methods, one being your standard flight controls of um, uh, utilizing power to keep a specific speed. Um, And then the other one is a blending method to allow it to essentially catch the thermals and back off of its power to reserve it for extended flight time. that's pretty unique to autopilot. Yeah, that, that's that's a good capability. Uh, I don't know if either of you guys want to speak to this, and you can decline to comment. But um, you know, I and as part of the consulting stuff that I do, I uh, I will talk to people about capabilities of their systems and price points. And you gave us a pretty good uh, overview of the capabilities of this system. Does anyone want to, to speak to price points where it starts out, or or would we decline to state or? Sure. Um, we initially started, as many know, um, with a thermopile setup. That was the version 2.0, and it actually started as a version 1.7, 1. 1.8. 1. Um, but uh, there's limitations to the thermopiles in the in the respect of flying in rough weather conditions. Um, and or um, 
confusing it in some way. Say it's excuse me, um, it's flying in a canyon, or or something to that effect. So we moved over to the IMU based system, and um, that was about two years ago that, that we we actually had something available to the public, and. Um, our goal was to essentially, I mean, there's no other way to put this. Uh, we looked at the closest autopilot with the feature set that we had, and we literally cut the price in half. Um, we don't make a huge amount of money on each one, but we, you know, you, you sell more for less is kind of the thought process behind it. Um, now that the ITAR situation and the lack of regulations in the U.S. have kicked in, it's, it's limited our sales, specifically in, in the United States. And, um, you know, in a lot of cases, we may have been better off charging a larger amount or what we consider the, the, the value of the system is. Um, on the other hand, it, it's a lot easier to bring a price down than to raise it. <laughs> so, um, you know, we, we continue, instead of increasing prices, um, putting them out of reach of, of your average individual, we add features and advancements in the system that legitimately justify the cost increase. Right. Um, so, it, you know, initially uh, Dean, Dean was trying to build a sub $1,000 system that was available to anybody and had the abilities of your five or $6,000 autopilot. Um, Obviously, reality struck in multiple different ways, and and it, it had to be increased a bit. But um, we are still within half the price of our closest competitor. So it's somewhere proud of. Okay, and uh, what does what does that start off at, or did you not want to say? Uh, yeah, the, 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 we no longer sell the thermal pile version, um, most due to the availability of the uh, analog. Um, thermopile sensors, but uh, the IMU system is a six six degree of freedom system, and um, it has multiple features: data logging and uh, uh, various trigger uh, sequences that you can input. And the price point right now is at thirty one hundred dollars. Um, so we a lot of bang for the buck. Actually, it sounds like. Absolutely, yeah. Without me specifically naming off other individuals or other autopilots, um, you know, we we basically purposely went out there to cut that price in half, and right. we gained a lot of um, customers because of that. But we also allowed the other companies some room to advance their systems and right. and start switching other customers. Right, right, and and Jimmy, what what are you? Uh, you're, you're just are you selling all up systems, or are you just selling airframes? What what's going on well, with Hangar Eighteen? We sell the all up systems. We we uh, use autopilot of course for the uh, the autopilots when we we have a full up system. But the airframe itself, because um, I don't use a lot of exotic materials as in Kevlar and uh, and carbon, I try to keep the fiberglass content up as much as I can. And of course, we do use those. Materials where we need to, but uh, we end up with reflectivity issues and and interference with the radio systems and whatnot. So I try to keep to a minimum. It's let me keep my price down. 
So the Osprey airframe itself is is starts at nine hundred dollars. Wow. Wow. That's not too bad at all. Okay, well one thing I want to do, because you know, we're closing in on the uh five minute warning. And there's a couple more things I want to ask. But what I'm gonna do is is this is, you know, I'm I'm just dying to pet the pooch over here. So what I'm gonna let you guys do is uh, you know, let's let's start with Jimmy. You wanna give your uh your website address. Sure, it's uh, Hangar 18, H-A-N-G-A-R 18, U-A-V dot com. Okay. And uh, Chris? Yeah, we, we've got a couple websites and um, our own forums, similar to the uh, RC groups type forums or DIY drones. But um, our, our website is ATTO, A-T-T-O, Pilot International, all one word. Um, dot com and uh, you can go on there and there's various links to contact the individuals in the company and or all of them at the same time. Um, in addition to that, we have uh, a, a website that Gary Mortimer has uh, graciously set up for us and, and been running and that is the atopilot.ning website, which is a forum for our end users and people who are looking for assistance that that need information. All right. Well, that's good. And then uh, again, um, if, if if as the listener you didn't get that, you can always uh, email us at uh, suasnews.com, Patrick at suasnews.com, and we could uh, forward that information on to you. I know that uh, autopilots and advertisers see your ad going through there, so you could also click on that on the home page. Okay, and, um, you know, we kind of touched on a lot of stuff, and I wanted to circle back and talk about the congressional mandates and all the rest of that, but it it looks like we're going to run out of time on that. Um, So one one other question I wanted to ask is, does anyone know when that episode's going to air, or is it an ongoing thing where they're using the RPA, or? They're starting to. They will not specifically show it. Um, and there's multiple reasons okay. behind, but um, they do hint across the the fact that they have some new technology that is helping them assist or assist them in in accomplishing their goal. Um, as far as we are aware, it's an ongoing um, series of of uh, TV shows, and it. Uh, it's only a certain part of the year, obviously uh, more towards the the season of the the whaling and, and various um, uh, various tests that they they take on. Okay, and Jimmy, did you want to? Starts again on yeah, June first is when the series starts again. Okay, but they're they're going to probably kind of keep this under wraps. It sounds like, but but we know it's there. It's out there, and uh, it's continuing and. Uh, whatever else but uh you know it'd be interesting to um to know in the future if uh you know what what type of impact you guys have again without giving away too much and over at susnews.com you know we would be uh we'd be we'd be happy to receive some uh some of these press releases in the future uh, about the exploits of the Osprey and the 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 collaboration with the autopilot and sure. So be sure and send that out to us. 
Um, the other thing is, I want to. I got to do a little bit more uh, housekeeping. Gene, did you have anything to add, real quick? No, you know, you can't beat the uh, the, the autopilot and the wing. As far as I'm concerned, I've been through four systems, and it's it's a good combination. Jimmy's got a good combination there with it, uh, and uh, I think they're going to have a lot of success with that system. Well, I'm, you know, I got to tell you, I'm pretty impressed uh, when I heard all of the capabilities and the price points. You know, uh, I, I, again, you know, I, I think as soon as this thing breaks loose, these things should be selling like hotcakes. Lots of capabilities for a little bit of money. Anyway, I want to, uh, you know, the housekeeping part of this, uh, I, I, to the listeners, it's been very popular. I can't believe how many downloads we had of last week's podcast with uh, with Gene, the inaugural. I've heard a lot of good feedback. I'd like to ask the listeners to uh, email their topics of interest, shows they'd like to hear, to Patrick at suasnews.com. Uh, we're we're going to do driverless cars next week, and that ought to be pretty interesting. I'm looking forward to that. I'd also like to say we're still looking for a sponsor for the podcast, and you want to get the word out on your company's good services. This is an excellent vehicle to do that. Again, email me at uh, Patrick at SUAS News, and um, we'll go from there. Everybody, hey, thanks a bunch, and that's it. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, hopefully we can do this again in the near future. All right. Talk to you guys later. Thanks. All right. Have a great day.